please to turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Our friends, we are continuing uh, this morning with our studies uh, in this letter, this marvellous letter of the Ephesians, Paul to the Ephesians, and we come now to this particular a verse and uh, two or three of the next uh, to look at this morning. My subject for this mor- morning is forming new habits, forming new habits. In our last study, it's, uh, two or three weeks ago, where we looked at the previous verses which spoke about the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man. Putting away that old man, those sins and those at- sinful attitudes the sinful ways and habits of our, which we indulged in so freely in our unconverted estate. And we didn't think about sin. We didn't care about sin, really. And we lived in those kind of things. But when we came to Christ, it was a new beginning. It was a new start. And it was time for us, Paul says, to put off that kind of living. So we are forgiven our sins when we come to Christ. But then also we must begin to live in a righteous way. We must begin to become actually holy. Yes, we are complete in Christ. Yes, we don't try and earn our salvation. Yes, we are received by Him fully, fully accepted by Him. But He begins that work to save us from our particular sins. Those old sins that, though they are forgiven, they are still there. And they still linger. And they still try and get the better of us. And they still try and pull you back to make you like you were before you were a Christian. And Christ has come and wants to deliver us by His Spirit from those things. And to not only save us from those sins, but to, as it were, clothe us with something new, with new habits, with a new disposition, with a new kind of thinking, the putting on of the new man. This new, new person resembles God, resembles Christ. The old man is ugly. The old man, that sinful self, his dispositions are, are horrible, are, are wicked, are evil. It's, it's an ugly thing. But there's something beautiful in the grace and the, the righteousness and the attitudes and the behavior uh, that is Christ-like uh, and God-like. And so that is the new man. So both, Paul, we said that time must be done. Putting off the old man and putting on the new. Well, the apostle spoke of that in a, in a general way. Now he's going to descend into particulars. Now he's going to go into a little bit more uh, detail and show us exactly uh, how we should walk so that no one can say, well, I didn't know. Because uh, sometimes maybe we are happy with the general, but it's good uh, to go down to specific areas. He's going to mention specific sins that they need to be aware of. Sins that were prevalent Uh, in the pagan society at that time. But sins, as we read it, we realize, oh, these are also prevalent in our society. We are also, we could say, almost pagan-like because so many of the things that they were doing, uh, we also uh, see uh, in us and in the world, our society here. 
So we also, friends, need to hear this message. But here also there's a, an example. Paul is setting an example for preachers. Not to leave the congregation just with general maxims or general uh, sentiments and uh, instructions, but to go down also uh, to some detail, to exam exemplify, to elaborate on particulars, to be bold, to address the sins of the age and the time. This is what preachers must do. Well, you can see for yourself as we look at these following verses today and over the following weeks uh, that this, this uh, principle of putting off and putting on comes through very clearly. So firstly, uh, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Putting away lying. Lying, uh, uh, sorry, putting away, uh, here the word means uh, renounce or to lay off or to uh, cast aside. Just we said put off the old man. Put off, cast aside uh, lying. It's horrible lying. It's, a, it's an evil thing. It's not a small thing. It's not a light thing. Cast it off, Paul is saying. As we said, lying was ubiquitous. It was widespread in the society of the time. Everybody was doing it. It was so common, no one thought it was wrong because everyone was, was lying. But Paul here is writing to Christians. Are they still lying? These are Christian converts in the church at Ephesus. Does he need to write this to them? Surely they know. But yes, they were still lying. And it, uh, if we think of lying only in a general way, then we've, we haven't really grasped uh, uh, the depths to which lies are told. But uh, these, these believers also needed to put away a lying. Maybe they were not lying as to the same degree as they were before, but they may still uh, be tempted to give way to it. And even though we are converted, where well, we too may be tempted to give way to lying. Many, well, we think of lying as something that's valid to do. It's okay to lie. It doesn't harm anyone after all. And as long as it doesn't hurt or harm anyone, what's wrong with telling a lie? It's only a little fib. No one's going to, to, uh, no one's going to notice or be uh, offended by it. So I can embellish my CV when I go for a job. And I can say things about myself which are not true. And when I'm at the interview, I can again say I've achieved such and such a thing which I've, I've never done. Uh, but that would be uh, telling a lie. Or uh, when I fill in my tax re returns, well, I don't need to declare everything. Why should I say everything? Why should I give the government so much money? I'm only going to give them uh, this much. I want to claim benefits. We have, we're privileged in this country. You can claim benefits if you're in great need. But some people abuse that, isn't it? And they hide things so that I'm not going to declare this. If I declare this, that means I'm not going to get as much as I, I would get. And, and so little things like this, which we think are just small and uh, harmless, uh, we are actually uh, lies. Get up late for work? You've overslept? What's the usual excuse? Or, sorry boss, traffic jam. It's common, isn't it? Everyone seems to be doing it. So we all do it. We often lie uh, to avoid uh, embarrassment or punishment or perhaps to cover 
uh, for, for other people. You remember in the Old Testament, how uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah on their way to Egypt, and Abraham was afraid. Uh, and he said to Sarah, his wife, say you're my sister. When everyone sees you in Egypt, they're going to see your fair skin. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be, see your beauty. Just tell everyone you're my sister. And he, he made her lie. And Pharaoh took, her, took Sarah. You know the story. You know what happened. Pharaoh took Sarah. And uh, he would have taken her for his wife had not God intervened and told Pharaoh not to do such a thing. So he tried to cover uh, himself, protect himself in such a way. People will put pressure on you to lie uh, for them. Uh, sadly, friends may put pressure on you. Uh, even believers may put pressure on other believers to lie for them. It should never happen. Some people may uh, put pressure on you when they're applying for citizenship. And they want you to, to lie on, on the forms and say things about them which are not true. Or again in the office. Your boss, a client phones in, and your boss says, tell them I'm not in. I don't want to speak to them. Your pressure is put on you to, to lie. For some people, uh, accountants in some countries, it's very, very hard. Uh, you know, the boss, again, will put pressure on those accountants to change the figures. Uh, don't declare this. Don't declare that. And um, uh, many accountants find it Christian accountants find it very difficult to maintain uh, a position. But we have to, friends. We have to stand up. We have to resist uh, those, uh, those, in, those uh, pressure that, like, come, that have come upon us. We have to have some spiritual backbone as believers and say, no, I'm not going to tell a lie. I have to uh, speak what is the truth. Lying, it's so common uh, amongst us. Maybe we embellish an anecdote to make us look better. Well, that's a kind of a form of lying to exaggeration, dishonesty, hypocrisy, pretending to be something that I'm not. That's another kind of a physical, obvious lie. All these friends must be cast aside for the believer. To lie is devilish. We are, when we lie, well, we're forming ourselves, our characters, according to the devil's image. We read that in John 8, verse 44. The devil abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The father of lies. Whenever we tell a lie, this is who you're resembling. This is who you're forming your character to. Remember, where did the first lie come from? But from the devil in the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, you shall not die. If you eat of this fruit, the fruit of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not die. He lied to them. And what happened? All the trouble, sin entered the world, and all the trouble and all the pain followed it. Death followed it. He lied and deceived the woman. He's still lying to people. The devil is still lying to the world. He's still, he, he's still lying to them about the creation. Many people believe the lie of evolution. Many people believe the lie that death is the end, that there is no, no God, there is no day of judgment. 
there is no eternity, there is no heaven, there is no hell. He'll say to them, don't worry, everything will be okay at the end. It's a lie. And God has told us so clearly and truthfully what is going to happen at the end of this world. Oh, friends, how uh, our society also is infected with this kind of disease, isn't it? Uh, from the very top, from our political leaders down, we see lying is everywhere. Fake news we hear about so often. Whom can you trust? Who can we trust in these days? Whose word is true? Whose word is dependable? Christians, uh, sadly, even sometimes our words are not dependable. They should be. Christians should be one you can trust. Everything that comes out of his mouth should be true. But sometimes we hear Christians, they come and visit us, and they say, well, I'll be back again. You never see them. You never see them again. Well, that's not, that's not being honest. That's not being upright. Ministers could tell lies. They used to say, if a minister, you want to hear a minister telling lies, you go to a funeral. And, and, and that's, sadly, that's also uh, so often true. All these friends, they must be cast aside. It's unchristlike, and it's harmful. Christ always spoke the truth. You could always depend upon his words. Everything that you read about in the scriptures, this is the word of truth. You can trust it from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. There is nothing in it that you cannot, uh, that, that is doubtful. You can read his word and you can know that whatever is written there is not a lie. But you can put your whole faith in it. And you can put your faith in the Savior because he always tells the truth. And that's why we call people to come and trust in the Savior when he says, believe on me and I will give you eternal life. Believe on me and I will forgive your sins and take you to heaven. He means it. It's not a lie. He will do it for you. He will do it as he's done it for so many. Oh, friends, he is the God who cannot lie. Trust in him. How terrible, isn't it? If somebody gives us a, a year and somebody listens to what we say and we lie to them and we are dishonest with them, we are sort of robbing them, abusing them of their, their trust to deceive them. Others with our words is such a... Uh, a horrible thing uh, to do. But here Paul goes on to say, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Of course, neighbor would refer to everyone, but here in this context, we're thinking especially of those who are in the church, our brethren. And he goes on to say, for we are members one of another. Because we belong to, to one another. If we lie then we're going to harm the body. We're going to harm the church. We're going to harm the fellowship that we belong to. One old-time old preacher uh, put it like this. He said, if, if the eye, in, we're talking about we are members one of another, he said, if the eye, uh, if you're walking along a pathway and, and the eye sees a snake or sees a wild beast maybe uh, in, the, in, in the pathway, well, Will the, will the eye lie uh, to the foot? It won't, isn't it? It will inform the foot at once. There's a snake or there's a, a lion in, in, in the way or a wild beast in the, in the way. So one can run away as fast as one could. 
Or imagine in a modern day setting, you're driving your car and the, the eye sees, uh, the traffic lights uh, turn uh, red. What if the eye communicated to the brain and said, instead of it being red, it's still green, and the brain communicated that to the foot, and the foot, instead of pressing the brake, continued to press the accelerator because it received the wrong information, a lie uh, from, uh, from the eye, well, that would lead to disaster. That could lead to potential crash and great harm and danger. Well, in the same way, when friends, if we lie to one another, it can hurt and harm the church uh, fellowship. But then, uh, secondly, uh, there's another uh, sin, sin mentioned in verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. A quotation from Psalm 4 and verse 4, where we read, Stand in awe and sin not. not. But in the word stand in awe could also mean quiver with anger or fear. And some of the modern translations actually go with that translation and they take Psalm 4 verse 4 to be be angry and do not sin. So it's, it's taken from there but not here it's suggesting that not all anger is sinful. There is a righteous anger. I know that God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the, the, those who continue in rebellion. Why? It's a righteous anger. It's not an emotional uh, anger, an outburst, but it's because he has blessed those people uh, with life, with breath, with good things, with skills, with thinking skills, with language, with so many things, and, and with opportunities to come to him, but they reject him. And they still live in rebellion against him. And that, that, so God is righteously angry, angry uh, with them. Christ, we remember, was angry uh, with the Pharisees because of the hardness of their hearts and their unbelief. And also, we, on two other occasions, we read about how he drove those who were selling uh, from the temple with a controlled anger, not an outburst uh, of anger. So there is a place for anger. Be angry, we read. Oh, there are things, isn't it, we see that cause us uh, to, that should make us angry. If we're stoic, it would be wrong to be stoic in some situations. But uh, we see such serious injustices and wrongs done, obvious cases of betrayal and violence in our society. Oh, are we not indignant? And we see what's being taught to our children. When we see what they're being exposed to in the schools and the immorality that they're being taught is perfectly fine and legitimate for them to embrace. Oh, friends, it's a cause, isn't it, for some degree of indignation. Or when we ourselves maybe are badly wronged and offended against, there is perhaps a place to be righteously angry. But we have to tread very carefully. We have to move very carefully when we are dealing with anger because anger can very, very quickly degenerate into sinful anger. And we have to be careful about that. So be angry and sin not. Righteous anger becomes sinful when it, uh, when it uh, is accompanied by a desire for revenge. 
and a desire to retaliate, to get your own back. You become sinful and it's directed against the person instead of the offence itself. Or when the person is unwilling uh, to forget or, and to forgive. So we have to be cautious even when handling uh, uh, righteous uh, anger. But we have to be especially careful because we are more prone to sinful anger and uh, short-temperedness, easily uh, irritableness. Often we see this uh, in the home. The husband or the wife maybe does something wrong or says something and off we fly, fly off the handle immediately and say such and such, we bark unjustifiably at them or maybe with our children. Uh, they cross us or maybe they do something that, uh, we, uh, that we've asked them not to do. Maybe it's just a minor misdemeanor. But we, we feel, oh, they're not listening to me. Their, our pride is somewhat hurt. We get angry easily. And maybe we scream at the kids. You should never do that. Some parents think it's, they have a right to scream at the kids. We see and hear this so often. But we have no right, friends, to do like that. Uh, that should never be. We should never be angry over minor things. Once again, our society, are we living, don't you feel that we're living in an angry society? Is it just me? Can you see the road rage? On the, on, there never used to be road rage when I was growing up. But it seems to be everywhere now. People so easily uh, are angry. And sometimes you see anger in, in people's faces that is, is scary. And then there's that silent anger. Something else we have to watch. The anger that broods over some offense. Real offense or imaginary offense. The husband is upset with his wife for something minor or uh, something imaginary happening in his mind and he dwells upon it and it lingers in his mind and he, resentment begins uh, to build and he nurses his grudge and will not let it go. He cannot let it go. The more he gives into it, it begins to control uh, him. Anger, friends, that's why Paul goes on to say, uh, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't go to bed, he says, as an angry person. Don't sleep on it. Don't prolong it. It will only get worse. Don't let it linger inside you. Deal with it before you go to bed. John Gill put it like this, the commentator. When the heat of the day is over, the heat of anger should be over likewise. And it's true, isn't it? For, uh, for, one, for one thing, friends, if you retain anger, you'll ruin your sleep and certainly rob you of your peace and will definitely hinder your prayers as well. So deal, we must deal with these things before uh, they become worse. Failure to do that is giving a place and opportunity to the devil. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. It's connected, I think, with verse 26. See, the devil is very clever. He can't read your mind. But he can see, he can see your, what you're doing. He can hear what you're saying. He can see and read your actions. He sees that you're angry. sees that you're unhappy. Well, he'll only pour more petrol on the fire. He'll only make things worse for you. He'll whisper things in your ears. 
to inflame your anger even more and to make you and to lead you into other kinds of feelings which you will find distressful and annoying, unkind feelings, resentful feelings, self-pitying feelings. You're feeling aggrieved and he will only just add to add fuel to the fire. That's what he will do. If you retain your anger, friends, this is what the devil will do. He will take advantage of it. You will, don't give him the opportunity to do that, Paul is saying. Deal with it. Be reconciled with your spouse before you sleep. Be reconciled. Uh, be done with your anger uh, before you go to bed. Avoid sinful anger, friends, and be very careful even where your anger is justifiable. And then verse 28, he goes on to talk about uh, stealing. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let him that steals steal no more, might be a better translation. And again, we ask the same question, were these converts, Ephesian believers, stealing? Well, it, it seems that some of them still were. A number of them were slaves. And as slaves, they had no income, they had no money, and they felt it was, they, it was their right to, to, to purloin things uh, from their masters. Oh, I'm entitled to take these things. My master doesn't give me anything. I can just take this little thing here and he won't notice, he won't miss this thing here and I'll take that. And so they were stealing things from their, um, their masters. They didn't know it was wrong. They knew stealing as, as a whole was wrong perhaps, but these details were different. They were so used to doing it that they thought it was still okay. And here comes the word of God to educate their, their conscience, to teach them that such, such stealing mustn't happen. They needed to be enlightened and educated uh, in, uh, in these things. Same like us, when we come to know the Lord, well, we don't know everything that's, that we need to change, but the Lord shows us through the word as we read it. He puts his finger sometimes on particular areas in our life and says, this needs to change. You mustn't be like this now that you are a believer. And our, uh, he educates us and teaches us. And so Paul goes on to say, instead of stealing, uh, let him labor. Let him work. The word there means work to the point of weariness, to toil. Let him work with his hands so that he may have that which is good and he may be able to give to those who are in need. Replace stealing with work so that you can support yourselves and also have extra to give to others. Stealing is bad, work, working is good. But he must not only think about himself, he must also uh, think about uh, other people. This is what Paul is getting at. Uh, Paul, uh, the, money that you, uh, the money that you earn from your labor, yes, by all means, use it for your needs and for your support, but think also of others who are in need so that you can help them. Think about that. You think like that, friends, about your salary? You have an income? You, is it all mapped out for, for yourself? Oh, I'm going to put such and such away, which is the right thing to do for a rainy day. You need to do that. 
But is, is anything given? Is any thought given to how much can I give for those who are in need? Is there some needy person, some elderly, some sick person uh, who, can, who needs my help? Oh, friends, we must think also of others. Um, the money that is also given to us is not all, only for ourselves, but we are to be sympathetic and feeling uh, for the needs of others. Paul was like that. Paul, you, know, you remember, was a very sympathetic, sympathetic man, and he was keen to remember the poor. Do you remember how he took up collections from uh, other churches for the poor saints at Jerusalem? And uh, he was uh, often thinking uh, not of himself, but of others. And we should follow uh, in his steps. But let me, just in closing, say a few things really about uh, stealing. Stealing, like lying, uh, also has many forms. And I can only just name a few. But of course, we all are familiar. Taking something from somebody without their knowledge, well, we know that is wrong. That shouldn't be done. But do we steal from our employers? by underworking? Do we take credit to ourselves, uh, which really belongs to another person? That's a kind of stealing too. Stealing is also withholding uh, some, from somebody that which is their due. We, are, we should be honour our elderly uh, folk. We should honour and respect our parents. To withhold that respect from them is a kind of stealing from them, that which is they're entitled to. And again, in talking about the marriage uh, context, in 1 Corinthians uh, 7 and verse 3, uh, we read, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise uh, the wife uh, to the husband. The words there, due benevolence, well, primarily are a, a, a polite reference to the intimate relations between a husband and wife, but it also includes the things that we, uh, the spouse owes to uh, his fellow spouse, kindness, uh, goodwill, uh, to think well uh, of uh, the other person, uh, tenderness uh, to the other person, to care and provide uh, for the other person, time uh, to spend uh, with the other person. All these things that the husband and the wife are to uh, owe each other and to withhold those things is really to steal uh, from uh, that from uh, the, the other person. So uh, these are some things, some areas uh, in, in everyday life that uh, we may be guilty also of stealing and be cautious about. But do we steal also from the Lord? Do I steal from Him? Is it possible I could take something from Him? Yes. We could steal our time uh, from Him. We, the Lord's day is for Him. Do I steal it from him? Or do I just give him a part of my time? Am I withholding from him that which is his due? Because to, so that uh, for my own uh, selfish ease and comfort, oh friends, I gave him my life. I gave him my life when I came back, when I came to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I give my heart, my life to you. I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. Have I stolen it back? Have I taken it back for myself? Well, here are the words of Paul. Let him that stole uh, steal no more. Well, friends, in conclusion, uh, these are, we just, I think we'll just stop here and we'll continue our next studies uh, uh, 
uh, in the next verses in our next study. But do remember these, some of these things. Remember our old sins well, are still there and we must not allow them uh, to regain uh, power over us. We must re- replace that old behavior with a new kind of behavior. And here this morning we've considered these three things. Replace stealing uh, with work, with giving. Replace lying with truth speaking. Replace anger with peace. Oh, may Lord help us. Let's sing together our final hymn, which is number 450. Oh, for a heart to praise my God. 450.